If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3? I'm going to be in verse 20. Last week, we uh, talked through Paul's admonition that he was not yet perfect, that he was striving and straining toward the goal that God had called him to. And there were others who were walking as enemies of the cross. And we talked about their God is their belly and their end is destruction, their glory is their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. And then Paul flipped it to chapter 3, verse 20, when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And so this morning, you see the top of your outline, a little bit of a, not, not so much of a departure, but uh, you look at the landscape of what we are walking into as a nation and what we're walking to as a church and individuals, I felt it pertinent for us to take a step back for a moment and get gospel clarity in the midst of an election season. Now, there'd be many of you this morning that will probably wish that I would go further with this. Others that wish I would stay as far as the east is from the west away from this and others who just really don't care. But this morning, we need God's good gospel clarity as we walk forward because the reality is we're walking into this as citizens of this great country that has afforded us many freedoms and liberties and privileges that we have, we are walking forward into an election season. So the things that we will talk about this morning will be transferable, not to November 3rd, but to the future that's ahead of us. As we face elections in the future, as we face ups and downs in our nation's history, up and down, we will face these things and we need gospel clarity in the midst of them. So as we look here at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, you see, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. You see, our citizenship is in heaven. First point, remember your heavenly citizenship, that we remember that we deeply in this season of life remember our heavenly citizenship. We thank the Lord that we are able to, to freely assemble and worship and sing and pray and have Bible fellowship classes and talk through deep gospel truths with one another. But we recall and we remember our heavenly citizenship. I'm so thankful for God's counsel and his word that, that leads us to places like this, that at just the right time, we happen to be in Philippians 3.20 as we walk forward into the next few weeks, that this, this word that we remember and recall our citizenship is in heaven that we can quickly forget and look for answers and hope, both, as the old adage goes, in a donkey and in an elephant, but we'll only find them truly in the Lamb of God. That we'll find peace not in what a politician can provide for us, but we will find peace in the Lamb of God. And so this morning, we recall our heavenly citizenship, who we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that our eyes are looking upward, longing for the time that our Savior would come back. And there are seasons, friends, of life, both in the days ahead, the days behind us, and the days way into the future. There are seasons of life that we look on the TV, that we read our news feeds, that we open up our newspapers, and our hearts are filled to the overflowing with grief upon grief upon grief. You watch the news. You see what's happening in our culture, in our world. And friends, there are seasons when you begin to scroll your newsfeed and you begin to say, Lord, would you just come back? You begin to say, Maranatha, Lord, come back. Come quickly, Lord. This is not the way things should be, Lord. Would you just come back and make all of this right? Because this is not the way it's supposed to be set up. Do you feel that? 
Do you feel that in seasons just to lament and grieve over what we see because we are citizens of heaven? You know, 2 Peter, that says we are exiles and strangers living in this land. So what we see all around us is not what we want to see. We long for heaven. Those of you walking through difficult seasons of life with health challenges and cancers and sickness, you long for that time when heaven will be a reality. When we look around and see things not as they ought to be, our hearts are just filled with grief till we say, Lord, please come back. We long for you. So we feel, verse 20, when it says our citizenship is in heaven and we await with great anticipation our Savior coming to make all things right. When the cancers of this world will be removed, when the temptations to sin will be no longer, and injustices that we feel will no longer be the reality of our situations. And so we mourn for it. We long for it. And know that that is a reality for us as believers living as exiles and strangers in this land. We feel it. We feel the weight of it. We feel the weight of the sinfulness and rampant wickedness that is all around us. And friends, we mourn over it. We feel the weight of the terrible greed that grips our system in America. We feel the weight of it, and it hurts our souls to see it. We're gripped and hurt by the incredible pride that is present in our culture all around us. It grieves us, and we mourn over it. We're hurt by the rampant sexual immorality that has gripped our culture, and it pains us, and it hurts us to see the rampant sexual immorality that is the the normal in our culture. We are grieved over it, and we say, Lord, would you come back? We're grieved by the the seeming disregard for human life from the, the womb all the way to the tomb, friends. We have a We have a disregard for human life to hold up life made in the image of God. Friends, we mourn and we grieve over the the disregard for life in our culture. We mourn. We grieve over the injustices that we see all over our culture. Friends, we we don't celebrate it. We mourn over it as citizens of heaven. And there are seasons when we look at it and, friends, tears flood our eyes because we realize this is not how it should be. And sometimes we look for some politician to just make everything right. And, friends, it's not going to happen this side of heaven. And so what is our responsibility as believers, as citizens of the Most High? What do we do in the season? Do we just throw in the towel and say it's never going to be made right, so we're just going to quit trying? Do we just say we're going to live as foreigners and aliens in this land and say, well, this is as good as it's going to be, so we'll just enjoy it? What do we do with this? Well, I think God's word. God's word gives us good counsel how we live in this land, how we celebrate the freedoms that we enjoy, but we also press in and we speak to issues. And friends, there are seasons when I know that we call the Bible God's guidebook for life, and there are seasons in which you wish that he would just clearly display in his word to say, eat this for lunch, take this job, marry this person, don't do this. We wish that it would just be spelled out clear as the noonday, that we could see exactly what we're supposed to do. But from God's word, we have incredible principles of truth that guide and lead us. We allow God's word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So when we come to forks on the road about what we do, what we're called to do, we have God's word to lead and guide us. And so this morning, what does God's word reveal to us as citizens of this land? What are we supposed to do first and foremost? First Timothy 2 gives us this incredibly helpful admonition to pray for those who are in power. 
pray for those who are in power. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 gives us this. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. At this moment, I want you to say with me, all. The word all. Say it with me. Pray for all people, including kings and all those in high positions that our go-to is normally grumble, 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 complain, complain, complain. But if we were grumbling and complaining and fighting about all the things that things are not happening and we are not on our knees in prayer, we are sinning. Friends, we need to be on our knees praying for those that God has ordained to be in power. We pray. We give supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving, which pretty much covers the spectrums of prayers right there. Intercessions, prayers, and supplications and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions of authority, from our city council and our mayor and our governor and our president to rulers across the nation. We are praying on our knees for them. Now, you may say, well, Mark, Paul didn't live during American times. He doesn't know what it's like. Paul lived through some difficult rulers and kings in his lifetime, did he not? The man found himself in prison more often than not. He lived under difficult reigns and rules in his life. And so if Paul can write to Timothy and say, get on your knees in prayer for leaders, surely he means us as well. And so, friends, we need to be on our knees. And you may say with your next breath, well, what do I pray? What am I supposed to pray for our leaders? What what are you calling us to? And there could be a laundry list of prayer needs for our leaders. But let me give you just a few, just to kind of lead us in practical ways. First, we pray godly wisdom. We know that wisdom is more important than silver and gold and rubies and all these things. And so it's good for us to seek after wisdom. And it's good for us to pray over our leaders, leaders to have godly wisdom that they would have godly wisdom to make decisions. And friends, none of us, none of us in this room understand the full weight of what it feels like to be under the pressure of leadership of our country, our state, our city. None of us have felt the pressures and weight that go alongside of that. And so I urge you, knowing that we believe as Christians that our prayers are effective, that the prayers of righteousness are effective. So we believe that God hears our prayer. So we press in and pray to the Lord that the Lord would give our leaders godly wisdom, that they would make right decisions, right choices, that they would make godly decisions. And on that, your next one is fear of the Lord. We pray that they would have the fear of the Lord deep in their souls. Psalm 111.10 tells us that fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So as we pray for godly wisdom, right hand in hand with it, we pray that they would have a fear of the Lord on their heart. We pray for their salvation. We pray that they would know the Lord and that they would seek after him, that they would make decisions based on their fear of the Lord, that they would understand and recognize their deep need of a Savior. Our politicians are no different than you and me. They're sinners. Anybody have an amen for that? That we're all sinners. Our politicians are sinners. We are sinners. They're in the same boat that we are. They need prayers for their grace on their lives. They need prayers that God would so take their hearts for the gospel. We pray for their salvation. We pray that God would take their hearts and they'd have the fear of the Lord on their hearts from the local levels to the state levels to our nation leaders all across the cabinet and senate and all these different things. We pray that the Lord would take their hearts for the gospel. So we press them. 
We pray earnestly, Lord, would you take them or would you reveal yourself to them? We pray for their salvations and their kids' salvations and their grandkids, whoever it is. We pray for their salvation. Friends, we pray the fear of the Lord would go hand in hand with their godly wisdom as they make decisions and govern who they've called to be governed. Number three, we also pray for wise and godly advisors. Proverbs tells us that where there is a lack of advisors, a nation stumbles, and we pray that around our leaders, that they would surround themselves with wise and godly leaders around them, and they would have a humility of heart to listen to their advisors when they speak truth in life. And so we pray, Lord, would you surround our leaders with wise counsel, with wise leaders, and would you open their hearts to receive that counsel, to listen to that good truth, men and women who would stand up to our leaders to say truth in truth-filled moments, that they would be humble to accept it. So friends, we pray for wise and godly advisors who would surround our leaders with good truth and godly wisdom. We also pray that they would run from evil and they would cling to what is good. Romans 12, 9 takes it a step further and says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So we pray that our leaders would run from evil, run from injustice, run from greed and pride and all these sins, that they would run from evil and they would legislate away from evil and they would cling to good and truth. Friends, we pray, believing that our prayers work and the Lord hears, we pray that they would run away as far away from evil and they would cling to God's truth and they would cling to truth in the world. And then I threw this last one in here because I believe it has helped me tremendously. We pray for their family and we pray for their health. You know, it's easy to see politicians and leaders of our country and state and nation and City, we can see them as simply their job, their title, and we can be so frustrated by things that we either see or don't see in the world around us that we forget they are our neighbors. That we have a responsibility to pray for them as human beings. And so we pray, Lord, would you protect their family? Would you protect their spouse? Would you protect their kids and their grandkids? Would you protect their family, Lord? Would you be with them? Would you lead and guide them? And we pray for their health. And I found in my heart, when I have anger and frustration that wells up about different things I see, when I begin to pray earnestly for people who I disagree with, it, it aids in the abetting of my anger. And so maybe you need to hear that for your boss, who you are frustrated with in this season. Maybe you need to hear it for our City leaders, our state leaders, our government leaders, friends, pray for their family, pray for their health and well-being. We never wish ill will on any of our neighbors, whether they are our enemies or whether they are our teammates. The Bible reminds us constantly, pray for those who persecute you, pray for our enemies. So friends, when it comes to the political world, we pray earnestly as neighbors for their families for their health. Remember that they are image bearers created in the image of God. So we pray earnestly for our leaders. And so you may want to jot a few notes down at the bottom of these practical prayer points. Maybe there are other things that you need to pray about for your leaders. But I've given you these here as practical admonitions for godly wisdom, for a fear of the Lord to be on their hearts, for wise and godly advisors to run from evil and cling to good, and for their family and health. And this last portion that I want to talk about is, is us being wise witnesses in the world. No matter what happens in a few weeks, no matter what happens in years to come, no matter what happens in the past, friends, we are called to be a wise witness daily. 
We're called to be wise in the world around us, to share and radiate the gospel of Jesus everywhere we are. We're called to shine as bright beacons of light right smack dab in the midst of where we are. So I've given you Philippians 2. We're reminded that is the passage that we talked about several weeks ago about do not grumble about anything. There'll be grumblers. Shine as bright beacons of light where? Right smack dab in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so as we get to this point, to be a wise witness, we are right in the middle of a culture we talked about last week whose God is their belly, they're glorying in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. We are called to present an alternative way, a hope-filled, gospel-saturated way that magnifies Jesus, that reminds us that we have peace that surpasses all understanding and a hope that transcends all earthly things. And so I want to give us some scriptural guardrails that edify us, that encourage us as we walk into this chaotic season and difficult season where we're trying to be bright beacons of light that we don't fall off the wagon and go down a mountain into a cliff and destroy our witness. Several years ago, Brittany and I, I think before we had kids, I I booked this little mountaintop cabin at the top of North Carolina mountains. And I don't know what I was thinking, but we were traveling up this tall mountain and I decided it would be a good idea to take our little Hyundai Sonata right on this, this gravel roadway. We were going to transverse this steep hill up the top of this little cliff and go to this little mountain cabin. And as we're going up this little hill, I'm thinking this was a terrible idea to bring the Sonata out on this journey. Um, but I'm going to look to the side of this cliff. There's a mountain on this side, and there's cliff on the other side. And some brilliant uh, engineer decided that he would put up some guardrails. And so we put up these wooden posts with string that looked about like this uh, between the two. I began thinking, if I go off the rails here in this dark night and uh, this kind of cloudy, misty night, if I decide that the gravel in my Sonata is not going well with one another and I I accidentally go off the cliff, this ain't going to stop much. Um, My car, my stuff, that would be the last you heard of Mark and Brittany Bethay over the cliff, over the mountain. Our car is going to be destroyed and everything in us is going to be dead. So this morning, I want to give us not paper-thin guardrails as we walk through this season of life. I want to give us those good interstate guardrails. You know what I'm talking about? Those big guardrails that when you begin to feel like you're slipping and sliding, that you're going off the wrong way, you have God's word that keeps you on the path. Because we're friends. We're walking into a season of life that we can completely damage and ruin our witness for the kingdom of God by trying to win arguments upon arguments. So we want guardrails. We need guardrails to when we begin to feel ourselves walking over and going over the cliff, down the valley, and into certain death, that we would have God's word as a guardrail to keep us and guide us and keep us on the pathway to magnify and lift up the name of Jesus. So what are some of these guardrails? First, it is James 1.19. This familiar, wonderful passage, which is transferable across all realms of life. It says, know this, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Many of us have flipped this script. We are real quick to become angry, real quick to speak, and real slow to listen, right? But in this calling, in this culture we're in, we are are called to be quick to listen, 
quick to listen to the, the frustrations that people have, the, the difficulties that they feel. And if you don't believe or you don't think that what they feel is right or true, you listen to them because there's always a place by which it is coming from. And so we listen to our neighbors that we disagree with. We listen not with with hard hearts, with compassionate hearts, to listen to them, to ask questions, to inquire. Friends, we are quick to listen to the plight of our neighbors and our friends and our brothers and sisters who think differently than us. That's how we love them well. But we're also slow to speak. Now, there's a reason why we're slow to speak. It doesn't mean we don't speak. Friends, there are many things in which we as believers need to stand up for and, and talk about and, and talk about to our culture and stand up for and speak to. There are things that we need to speak about, but I would encourage you to be slow to speak. Listen to the people you're talking to. Listen to them first. Have compassionate hearts. And I promise you, as you are slow to speak, you make better arguments. You're more loving and compassionate and caring. Be slow to speak. Before you grab your keyboard and get your phone and just begin to type furiously away, be slow to speak and maybe even slow to type. Amen. Friends, let your heart be slow to become angry. Listen, friends. Two ears, one mouth. We listen twice as much as we speak. And so in this moment that we can, we can want to fire off a a litany of things at which we're frustrated about. We want to win arguments with people. We lose people all along the way. So listen to James' admonition, James 1.19, to be quick to listen. Slow to speak, implying that we are not speechless, that we speak up when we need to speak up, but we do it with a heart that is pure and loving, which will lead us to Psalm 19.14. Psalm 19.14 said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. One of the best verses I have memorized is right there. Psalm 19.14, Let the words of my mouth, what comes out of my mouth, what spills out of the overflow of my mouth, Lord, let it be pleasing to you. Lord, the thoughts that I think, the things that I'm hiding in my heart, Lord, let them be pleasing to you. This is transferable across all areas of our life. I miss the days when we all wore those WWJD bracelets, do we not? When we look down in a moment and say, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this moment? What would he do in this situation? Would he be quick to fire off a snipe shot at somebody, or would he be quick to listen? Friends, as we walk through this season, the Bible is filled and filled and filled to the brim overflowing with caution over our speech that we would set a guard upon our mouth, a filter over our eyes and over our hearts, and that we would let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart, that they would please the Lord. It's a high and noble goal, but that's our calling as believers, as citizens of heaven. We move on in the brief moment that we have left. Matthew 7, 12 is a, a reminder of the golden rule that we would treat others the way that we would want to be treated in this election season and just in daily life. We treat other people with dignity and respect and honor people as image bearers of the, of the king, that we treat others with the golden rule. It's not just for our kids. It is for you and it is for me, that we treat others the way that we want to be treated, found in Matthew 7, 12. And lastly, Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father. Friends, whatever you do, however you walk, whether you walk to work or whether you go to school, whether you're buying a car, whether you're buying a home, it does not matter. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. 
And in this season, friends, I want you to walk giving glory and honor to the name of Jesus. We walk in a wise way to lift up and magnify Jesus in the places that we go, in the places that we see and say, friends, our words would be glorifying to God. Our actions would be glorifying to God. The way that we present ourselves and the way that we present our Lord Jesus would be like salt to people's hearts. Friends, we need the Lord's guidance and leadership as we walk forward. We can't do this on our own. We need the Lord's help. We need the Lord's leadership. We need his guidance. As we go back to point number one, that we remember that we are citizens of heaven. If you go back for just a moment in verse 20, let me read it for us again. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Look at that. Remind yourself of who this day is firmly seated on his throne. It's not you and it's not me. It's not any kingdoms or rulers or principalities. It is the Lord God who is high and lifted up, that in the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we need you. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your word to lead us and guide us and to protect us and keep us on the right pathway. Lord, we want to honor you in all that we do and say. Lord, we thank you that you have given us peace in the midst of turmoil. You've given us hope in the midst of chaos. Lord, we pray right now for our leaders. Lord, we pray for our president, President Trump. Lord, give him, give him grace today. Lord, would you give him wisdom upon wisdom? Would you fill him with your fear? Lord, we pray for Kay Ivey, Lord. Would you bless her today? Give her, give her grace and give her peace, Lord. Give her a, a renewed joy in you, Lord, that she would trust in you, Lord, that she would surround herself with people to encourage her in her walk. Lord, we pray for Stephen Reed. Lord, thank you for his leadership. Lord, we pray that you would surround him with godly people and, Lord, that you would fill him with your joy today. We pray for every other leader on the face of our nation. Lord, would you bless them? Would you keep them? Give them health. And We pray for their families. We pray for their, their needs that they have. But all of us are in the same boat. All of us need you. No matter how rich we are, no matter how poor we are, no matter how old we are or how young we are, Lord, we need you. So Lord, remind us afresh and anew today of our need and our love of you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.